0: open your Bibles to 1st John as Pastor Castaldo comes. Well, good morning. It's a blessing to be able to continue our study in 1st John, this morning, if you're not already there, 1st John chapter 3, starting in verse 13. The topic of the sermon today is going to be faith working through love. Faith working through love. And as we were talking last week, in uh, sorry, last time we were in 1st John, about there really being two households, a household of God and a household of Satan or the devil. Today we're going to get to look into the household of God. We're going to be focusing on the household of God. And so, four headings for today's sermon. The first heading is the blessings of God's house. That's going to be verses 13 through 15. The blessings of God's house. Followed by the exemplar of God's house, verses 16 and 17. And then what it's like in God's house, commanded to work, that's heading number three, and then commanded to believe, that's heading number four. So now that I trust you are in 1 John 3 and have your finger on verse 13, read with me. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. Let's ask the Lord to bless the reading and teaching of His Word. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time and the epistle that your servant John has written for his first hearers and for us and for all those who put their faith in Christ Lord feed us this day by your word allow us to see Christ allow me to preach Christ and him crucified Lord for your glory and our good we ask these things in Jesus name Amen. Well, just by simple observation, a few things we may notice just in this brief section of 1 John is that the word love is used eight times. Now, that shouldn't be surprising. We've already located John as being the gospel writer of love. He is the apostle of love. He is the apostle whom Jesus loved. Here we see John using the word love eight times. We see him using the word hate two times. And as we've noticed throughout this epistle, John likes to use contrasts, light and darkness, love and hate, truth and error, God and Satan. We notice that salvation is spoken of, verse 14. We also notice that the law is spoken of, verse 15. Again, the apostle John preaches law and gospel, which is what we should all seek to understand as we read the scriptures. He mentions the gospel explicitly in verse 16, and God's presence in verse 24. That's what we know. John says we know salvation. We know the law. We know the gospel. We know God's presence. But in verse 20, he says, God knows all things. So that is somewhat of an analytical look at the section we're going to be considering this morning. But as we've discussed in previous sections of John's epistle, John is often unpacking in this epistle what he's already taught in his gospel. It seems to me as John is writing 1 John, he's thinking back over his time spent with Jesus. We saw large portions of him reflecting on what happened in the upper room before Jesus was crucified. And we've come also to a section in John chapter 8 where we see a lot of connections. And just to remind us where we've been and where we're going, in John chapter 8, Jesus taught this. And John remembers this. And I believe is continuing to unpack it here for us in his epistle. Jesus is talking to those Jews who believed in him. And certainly there was a mixture of those who believed in him as well as those who hated him and Jesus said this in John chapter 8 starting in verse 34 truly truly I say to you everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin we've already talked previously in John's epistle how he's given us a forensic definition of sin that it's the breaking of God's law Jesus continues in verse 35 the slave does not remain in the house forever the sun does remain forever we talked about the context of these two houses in Jesus' ministry while the Mosaic covenant was still active and he's talking to those who are in the Mosaic covenant those Jews who believed in him and also those who hated him and he's giving them a warning he's saying The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son does remain forever. There were some of those in the Mosaic Covenant who were not in the covenant of grace, who were not truly in God's house inwardly. Jesus continues, So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. Again, two households, two fathers, children who act according to their father. Verse 39, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. You see, Jesus is making a connection that you do the deeds of your Father. dependent upon which household you find yourself, the household of God or the household of Satan, that will be reflected in your works. To put it in covenantal terms, if you're in the covenant of works or the covenant of grace. But Jesus continues, or I'm sorry, they answer Jesus. We are not born of fornication. We have one Father, God. A slight on Jesus' person and origin. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but He sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But, I speak, but because I speak of the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. And for this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. In other words, you are not in God's house. You are not children in God's house. You are children in Satan's house. And that's why you do the desires and the deeds of your father. And what are one of the deeds of Satan? Jesus says he was a murderer from the beginning. John's going to be talking about murder in this section here. But here's the truth of this this teaching that I think John is reflecting on, and then will continue to teach us in this part of his epistle. Everyone in God's house has been set free by the Son of God and has a living faith that works through love. I think if you were to take that one statement and read the context that preceded this section in 1 John, that which preceded verse 13, that's what you would come away with. So let's look at verse 13, where John speaks of the blessings of God's house. Verse 13, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Full stop. I just said John is speaking of the blessings of God's house. And John starts out by saying, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. It's a blessing if the world hates you? Amen. Remember what Jesus taught in Matthew 5, verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Yes, brothers and sisters, it is a blessing to be hated by the world for Christ's sake. Philippians 1.29, Paul says something very similar. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. Do you realize that that's a gift from God? Your suffering has been granted to you. It's almost like you should rejoice at your suffering for Christ. And that's exactly what we see the apostles doing in the book of Acts. Peter unpacks it further in 1 Peter 4.14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Take assurance from the persecution that you receive because you named the name of Christ. When others, maybe co-workers or family members, belittle you or call you simple-minded or ignorant or bigoted because you name the name of Christ, you are blessed, brothers and sisters, because it shows that you are of God. We recall Acts 14.22 when Paul was saying to the Ephesian elders, Through many tribulations you must enter the kingdom of God. This is the way, brothers and sisters. This is the path into the kingdom. And John says, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. John has said over and over in this epistle, My little children, my beloved ones. But here he doesn't say that. What does he say? Brethren. John is counting himself amongst their number. He's calling them brothers as if he knows what it's like for the world to hate him. And he did. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. And John says this, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Here again in this so, such close proximity, we have this contrast, love and hate. Love and hate. John does this throughout his epistle. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. But by the way, you know that you've passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. It's almost as if he's saying it's of the nature of the world to hate. Believers. God. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 8. This is why you hate me. Because I speak the truth. And this this proves that you're not of Abraham, your father. Who was of the truth? Who was in the covenant of grace? It's almost as if love is the defining mark of those who are in Christ. And hate is the defining mark of those who are estranged from him. Listen to Richard Aline in his book, Heaven Opened, makes this simple statement. Love is to a saint what malice is to Satan. That which gives force to all his acting. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, you have love as the guiding force to all of your actions. And if you are outside of Christ, malice and hate is the guiding force of all your actions now certainly it doesn't always look that way on the surface but underneath it all because of your nature because you're you're either alive or you're dead this statement is true i believe richard Aline has it correct and John is just repeating now in negative terms that which he's already taught. First John chapter 2, verse 17. The world is passing away, and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. forever. I'm thankful that the Lord has illuminated another portion of Scripture that we're studying as a congregation. I'm not going to unpack Ephesians chapter 2 in detail because thankfully the Lord has Brother Pastor Perkins doing that for us. But I'll just read it and make an observation. Paul says to the Ephesian congregation, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the son's house, family, the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. We said last time, we all once were in the house of Satan. We all once were members of a broken covenant of works. "...indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath." Brothers and sisters, again, we have a new nature, a regenerate nature, because we have been taken out of that house and allowed entrance into a better one. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, In our trespasses, our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. How long will we be on display? How long will the mercy of God reflected in us be on display? In ages to come. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is important because we're talking about works today. What we're not talking about are works that lead to your justification. We're talking about the works that you do because you're in the household of God, because your nature has been changed because His Spirit indwells you. Verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. May we never talk about the works we ought to be doing, because they were created for us. God has prepared them for us. Beforehand, I would argue before you were born, I believe the scripture argues before the foundation of the world. Why? So that we would walk in them. And there's a benefit to that good work rightly defined by scripture. And one of those benefits which we've talked about is the assurance of our salvation. And this is what John is getting at when he says, we know. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Why? What's the evidence? Because we love the brethren. That's a supernatural work. That's a work of God. That's one of the works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Why should I love my brother in Christ? Why should I love my sister in Christ? Simply put, because God has prepared that for you. And because you are God's and you desire to please Him from a new heart, you want to. That question why should i love my brother or sister in christ it comes from a bitter heart if it comes from a true believer if it comes from an unbeliever it's to be expected but you may ask how shall i love how shall i do that listen to this from robert layton from his book spiritual truths if you ask how shall i how shall I do to love? I answer, believe. If you ask, how shall I believe? I answer, love. Believe, and you shall love. Believe much, and you shall love much. What a spiritual truth. What a pithy statement that isn't just an empty pithy statement, but a full one. What's he saying? Think upon Christ. Think about His perfections. Think about His glory. Think about His kindness, His love, His mercy, His righteousness. Think upon these things, brothers and sisters. Meditate upon these things. We're going to be talking in our our small groups about self-denial. And the key to self-denial is this. Meditate on Christ. And if you do this, if you meditate on Christ in this way, it is a command to love. You will love. If you do not meditate, think about, rest upon, run to, consider Christ, it is like a plant that gets no sunlight. Christ is the light of the world, and we are called the light of the world because we're in union with him. And if we do not let that light shine in our hearts and in our minds, we too will be lethargic. We too will wither. As Christians, not die, but we will be not as effective as we could be and not as at peace as we should be. If you ask, how shall I love, believe. If you ask, how shall I believe, love. Because John says, he who does not abide in, I'm sorry, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life. And again, he's speaking to the nature of the unbeliever. He's, he's speaking, and I, I, I think he's possibly drawing a beeline to John chapter 8 when Jesus is saying the devil was a murderer from the beginning. And here he says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. What's he doing? He's taking that chief example of Satan and saying, everyone who is not in Christ, everyone who hates his brother is just like their father, the devil. They are a murderer. And because we have the law written on hearts of flesh in the new covenant, that we want to believe it, we want to obey it, even the unregenerate know the answer to this. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. But if thinking on Christ is the key to love, if meditating on Christ is the key that opens up that treasury, you would almost expect John to go there next. Read with me, verse 16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. That's exactly where John goes, to Christ. He wants his beloved children, those who are under his care, those whom he loves, to think on Christ, to believe much so that they love much. And he goes on to unpack it. What does that look like? What does it look like to love my brothers and sisters in Christ? John gives an ultimate example. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. John could be speaking of something as simple as a glass of water. If you see your brother or sister thirsty, give them something to drink. If you see them naked, clothe them. If you see them hungry, give them something to eat. Those ring true in our ears because these are works that the Lord said would identify those who are truly of his sheep. But John goes above those works. We may say, I can give something to drink. I can give something to wear. I can give something to eat. And not to diminish those acts of mercy and those acts of love that should be happening in the household of faith. John shines a spotlight on the ultimate sign of Christ lying down his life for his sheep. And we should use that as an example. This is heading number two the exemplar of God's house. We've talked about the blessings of God's house, being brought into God's house, members of it, made partakers of it, the blessings that come from the hand of our Lord, even to suffer for his namesake. And now we talk about who is the exemplar of God's house. It is the Lord. It is the Lord. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brethren in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Even though John sets up the ultimate example of lying down our life, he then, lest you have this pie-in-the-sky attitude towards serving your brothers and sisters, that that's something that you can do if you're called upon. How many of us are going to be called to physically lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters? Maybe some, maybe none. But lest that's the one thing that you think defines love, John then starts talking about those what we would might consider menial things. Whoever has the world's goods. And that could fill many categories. Whoever has the world's goods. It's not bad to have the world's goods. God blesses his people just like he blesses those who are not his people through his common grace with the goods of the world. The question is, to what end has he blessed us with these goods? What ought we do with these goods? Open to First Thessalonians, if you're able, chapter 4. And I believe that the Apostle Paul is saying something very similar and is making the same kind of encouragement to those in Thessalonia as I believe John was making to those in Asia Minor in Ephesus. first Thessalonians chapter 4 John is instructing and exhorting those in Ephesus and Paul similarly does the same for those in Thessalonia, Thessalonica he says finally brethren we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more, for you know what commandments we have get, that we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. We see this common apostolic doctrine the same doctrine that John is teaching in Ephesus is the same doctrine that Paul is teaching in Thessalonica It's a doctrine that is contrary to the doctrine of the false teachers who have snuck into the church who John has been warning against But John gives I'm sorry Paul gives another key which is important for us to remember For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Skip down to verse 9. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do practice it towards all the brethren who are in Macedonia, What is this practicing towards all those who are in Macedonia? I believe it's what John is talking about when he says, sharing the world's goods, seeing your brethren in need, that they're not closing their hearts, and they do have the love of God abiding in them because this is evidenced by their works. It can be very common for us especially on these matters to think what does God want me to do? What is God's will? Should I take this job? Should I not take this job? Should I move? Should I not? And this opens the door sadly to many who listen to whisperings and feelings And they think that it's the Lord trying to tell them something, and they are in bondage to these premonitions that they have. Brothers and sisters, we ought not be obedient to anything that is not contained in the Word of God, it is the sole infallible rule for faith and practice. I was talking to a, bro- a dear brother in Christ just the other day, and he was asking me the same thing. Let me explain to you this job opportunity I have. What is the Lord trying to tell me? And I said, Brother, you need to weigh this, just like you would weigh it if you were an unbeliever, in the sense that, that God brings opportunities to us. And we have to ask ourselves, does this correspond to, to God's will as he has revealed. What is God's will for our lives? Simply put, Paul says, your sanctification. And if it doesn't run headlong into God's revealed will, then I said rejoice, brother, because if you desire it, the Lord gives us the desires of our hearts. The Lord does not give us the desires of our hearts That are not corresponding to His will, but here's the point. When our wills correspond with His will, He does give us the desires of our hearts. We talked about the Lord's Prayer this morning in the order of worship. Give us this day our daily bread. Why doesn't the prayer start there? Because it starts here Our Father in heaven hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then give us this day our daily bread, because our desires should be in concert with God's desires. And if God's desires are our desires, he will give us the desires of our hearts, because his will for us is our sanctification. And in doing all this, looking to Christ as the exemplar, Jesus says things that are very similar. Ask anything in my name, and I will give it to you. And this is what John then goes on to discuss. Verse 18. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth, And will assure our hearts before him. And whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our hearts does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. You see that explanation that Paul says, that God's desire is our sanctification. And the psalmist who says he gives us the desires of our hearts makes sense of this. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. John says in verse 18, preceding it though, let us not love with word or with tongue, but with deed. In truth this is reminiscent of James teaching when he says don't just be hearers of the word but doers of the word also James unpacks that for us what use is it if someone says he has faith but he has no works can that faith save him If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace and be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. I believe this is what John is saying. Let us not love with word or with tongue only, but in deed and with truth. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well, James says. What is the royal law? It is the moral law. What are the two tables of the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hangs the whole law. Again, as New Covenant believers, John is talking to those who want to do these things. They have this desire. And James is saying, if you're fulfilling this royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But John is saying, if you say that, and yet you are withholding the goods that God has given to you, You're being hypocritical. And let us not love with word or with tongue only, but in deed and with truth. It is fitting today that we're going to be going to the quarterly of this new association where we have an opportunity as we have been praying for them to actually meet them. We have the desire as a congregation to not only care for those in our own congregation, but if the Lord provides an overflow with us, to help those in these other congregations who may have a physical need. We don't want to love in word or tongue only, as it even concerns other congregations, others in the body of Christ, but rather in deed and truth. And because we have this desire, And for those of us who have this desire individually, John is saying, it's assurance. It's assurance because it proves that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Jesus is our exemplar in this. Who ought you to look to as an example of serving others? Our Lord Jesus Christ is the exemplar in God's house. Remember in Matthew 15, 30, where it says, And large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were limping, had impaired limbs, were blind, or were unable to speak, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. The implication is he healed them all, large crowds. Imagine that. Almost like an assembly line of people coming to Jesus. It's understandable why he would have been exhausted later in the boat when he was sleeping in the midst of the storm. In his humanity. But we also have it in the upper room. So when he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Again, we are commanded to work in God's house. Not for salvation, not for justification, but because we are in God's house by the very nature that we are God's children. God has prepared works for us that we should walk in them. Jesus has promised whatever you ask in my name that I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Again, we see Jesus saying things that Only God could say. This is a claim to his deity. If you ask me anything, not if you ask God anything, if you ask me anything, why? Because he is God in the flesh. And what fuels this? Love. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John says, but beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence with God. This is a debated section of this particular part of scripture. And there are commentators who think that this speaks to the law. And there are those who think this speaks to the gospel. when it says we will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our hearts before him and whatever our hearts condemn us and then he goes on to say for God is greater than our hearts and knows all things there are those who think that in the context what John is saying is that our hearts condemn us when we reflect on how little we've given to brothers and sisters in need how far we've fallen short. And if our own heart is a testimony against us, God is greater than that even. And he knows all things, even in the deeper recesses of your heart, which may be so covered and hidden to you. And so they look at this section of John being the law to shake the believer out of idleness Others look at it as the gospel. And whatever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. They see it as saying, God knows the promises that He's made to you. He knows the covenant that He has placed you in. And even though your own heart condemns you, you are justified. Whatever the case, we remember Romans chapter 8, verses 34, because this concerns our our salvation. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Yes, rather, he who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. The gospel is there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Even if your own heart condemns you, because you see how far fa- how far you fall short of walking the way you want to walk. If you are in God's house, you will remain there forever, for the Son remains there forever, and He died for you. He paid for even those times that you did what you ought to do and didn't do it. Then lastly, after John gives us a command to work in God's house, he shows that there's a command to believe in God's house. Remember, if we're going to work, what is the fuel for that working? Love. And what is the fuel to love? Belief. So John is making the connection that if we are to work in God's house, we need to love in God's house. And if we're going to love in God's house, we need to believe in God's house. And this is verse 23. This is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He commanded us. The one who keeps His commandment abides in Him, and He in Him. We know by this that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. This is the fuel in the engine of a Christian that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ that we meditate on him and his works and his perfections and his glory and if we believe much we will love much and if we love much we will keep his commandments even imperfectly because the Holy Spirit abides in us Christ abides in us. He is working through us. We know by this that He abides in us, by the Spirit whom He has given us. I think in many ways, what John is teaching in this section is what the writer of the Hebrews taught in Hebrews chapter 10. Turn there if you're able with me. This will be in closing. The apostolic doctrine that is being taught across all the congregations of the living God in a singular voice. The writer of the Hebrews says in verse 19 of chapter 10, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. You hear the echoes of John talking about the assurance that we have because we love the brethren having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This sprinkling language hearkens back to the sprinkling of the blood of the covenant. Our hearts are sprinkled with the blood of Christ. The writer goes on in verse 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. There it is. Believe much, brothers and sisters. Believe that there is a new and living way, that Christ is better than the Old Covenant, that Christ is better than the angels, that Christ is better than the high priest of the Aaronic priesthood. Believe that he has opened a way, unmitigated, to the presence of the Father. Believe much, and you will love much. Because verse 24 says, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We ought not to not assemble together or to be slack in doing so, because when we come together physically, we see the needs that we each have as brothers and sisters in Christ, we see the things that are lacking. And it's an opportunity for us to show the love that we want to show because the Spirit of Christ abides in us. And because we believe much in this better way, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, we want to love the brethren. And brothers and sisters, be assured that if this speaks of you, you are in the household of God. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for teaching us out of 1 John this morning, for teaching us these truths, for stimulating us, Lord, to good works, by stimulating our thoughts about the Lord Jesus Christ, how he laid his life down for the sheep, and how we ought to lay our lives down for the brethren as a echo, as a response to that which he has done for us. Oh Lord, help us by your grace and your mercy to be stimulated and desirous of meditating more on your Son, Jesus Christ. For what you have done by and for and through him, Lord, even now as we approach the table, kindle in our hearts a fire of thanksgiving and praise and awe at our Lord, who came to earth, born of a virgin, born under the law, so that wretched sinners like us could be saved. Oh, Lord, let us be like the prophet Isaiah, who said, It is I, Lord, send me. Send us into the works that you have prepared beforehand for us to walk in, how we, your children, desire to do them, because we love you, We love our Savior, and we love all those whom you have redeemed out of this world. Lord, bless your table. Thank you for blessing your word. In Jesus' name, amen.